Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. What I'm looking for is a good number three starter in somebody else in a good organization. And I don't know who that guy is. I, I know some people think, well, maybe Marcus Stroman. You can ask four different people about Marcus Stroman, and you're going to get three different opinions. And, you know, uh, what kind of guy is he? Does he fit, you know, the whole nine yards? And, and I think one of the issues there, you have to make sure that whoever you sign is going to fit. But I'm looking for a number three starter on a good team. Interesting. Mike Claiborne from this morning on the morning show, the Cardinal broadcaster talking about uh, what is that fit? What is the right fit? Well, I think, number one, if I could get Max Scherzer, he's my guy. Um, and then after that, I'm looking at Marcus Stroman. Is he a fit, though, for the culture that you have in St. Louis? Does he like St. Louis? Does he like how they go about their business and vice versa? That's always a question. Same thing with Steven Matz. Steven Matz has a lot of the, the boxes that you would check off, like a Marcus Stroman. I love Marcus Stroman, by the way. I love him. I, I enjoy watching him pitch. I think he's effective. He's always pitching every fifth day. He's throwing strikes, and he gets you ground balls. Now, is going to cost me over $100 million in five years? Very well could. And we talked about it yesterday. By the way, Danny Mac show with BK on a Tuesday. Um, and Walt Jockety will be our guest, the former Cardinal GM. So the thing is, it's not only, as I always say, not only about the now, BK, as you well know, but it's looking forward. So where is Jack Flaherty in this? Where is Tyler O'Neill in this? Where's Tommy Edmond in this? What about Dylan Carlson? Pretty soon he's going to have three years under his belt and start making some money. How about Harrison Bader? So where do you fit it all in? in that collective pie and group of players. And that's where you're at right now. That's what you got to think about. Yeah, you got to think about the long and the short term. Uh, for a lot of fans, it's about, hey, 2023, 2022, let's get some wins right now for the front office, for the ownership group. They're thinking about 2025. And how does it fit in in that year? The Cardinals, for what it's worth, are in a pretty good spot with their payroll, both for the here and now and the flexibility for the future. That's by design. They did that on purpose. Miles Michaelis, two years left on his deal. Wayno and Yadier Molina both come off after this year. Um, the only guys that you have committed long-term big money to after 2023 are Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. And by the way, Paul Goldschmidt's money falls off of the books after 2024. You really have nothing of more of substance for more than three years on the books from now. So you've got the ability, long-term if you needed to, if you wanted to, to be able to add some to your books. The question is, do they want to do that? Would they rather have Jack Flaherty after the 2022 season signed long-term? Do they want to go that route? Do they want to offer a significant deal to a guy like Tyler O'Neill for the long haul? Do they just want to offer all three of their outfielders a pretty decent deal for the long haul? They've got a lot of options here. There are things that they've got to think about internally while also looking at the external candidates. And Dan, this is why I keep coming back to guys like Steven Matz and John Gray. Yes. If you're going to go to the open market, they make a whole hell of a lot of sense. Would you look at Alex Cobb, Zach Greinke, Corey Kluber on a one-year deal? I mean, because that's what Mike is saying there, and I tend to agree with him. If you're not going to give the money to a Scherzer you're not going to commit long-term to Stroman, Mats, 
then are there's you know those guys that you look at one year 15 million sure you know it's one year and you you are trying to get arms you're trying and comp you know very competent arms too guys with some of these guys have injury history but they're number threes you know what i mean and they could help you get a couple of them are you better off doing that and then spreading the money around and improving your bench now I was talking to some people this morning that I trust very, very much, and and it looks like Lars Newbar would be a, a you know part of that outfield. So he's your left-handed option off the bench. Is Juan he's Yepes? Yeah, I, I would agree. Is Juan Yepes that guy too? Where's Nolan Gorman fit into this? So that's you know some of the things that they got to answer right now. And this is where it gets really interesting, BK. Um, do you know that if they have a lockout, that you can't talk to agents? Yep. So when this thing hits on uh, December 1st at midnight or whatever it is, that you're John Mosellock, you're Michael Gersh, and you want to go talk to Scott Boris about Max Scherzer, all bets are off. Can't do it. That is against the rules. So you can't talk to your players. You can't talk to anybody that is on that side. And that means the Players Association as well, which means representation, which means agents. It's a true shutdown. So then front offices, I'm sure, focus on the draft in the minor leagues. That will continue if we had a work stoppage going into next season. But uh, in terms of trying to find and fit your rosters and, and figure out what you have, you're not going to have it. And that, that makes me think that uh, now, between now, Thanksgiving, and uh, and that 1st of December, I got a feeling we're going to have a lot of movement. I think next week could be crazy in baseball. Yeah, I think the next 24 to 48 hours or so, I think they're going to be pretty significant. I think you're going to see quite yeah. a few signings today and tomorrow, probably tomorrow. Cause there's, it's not a deadline, but or I you can would, have Kurt Schilling over for Thanksgiving and sign him to go to the Boston Red Sox. Yeah. Like uh, Theo did a few years ago. I don't know how many of those we're going to have this year. I would imagine you're going to see the majority of, it seems like there's a lot of movement already right now with this pitching market. We saw some yesterday. Well, let's there give was, you that real quick. Absolutely. So giants did resign Anthony D. Slafani. Uh, D. Slafani, three years, 36. That's a good deal for him. On a bounce back season last year, and I've always said, hey, if you've had a good year with that team that got you back on, and they're willing to give you money, go back to that. There's a comfortable fit there. You're having success. Alex Wood, two years for more than $10 million per. Uh, Susan Slusser of the Chronicle in San Francisco. Giants closing in on a deal with Alex Cobb, which uh, would take him off the board for St. Louis. So those are some of the, the, the dealings. Alex that Wood. Have... Cobb hasn't signed. Correct. Correct. Alex Cobb okay. may happen today. Cool. Yes. So we'll see. You know, I mean, but that's kind of your mid-tier guy. And maybe that market has been set. Yeah, I think so. I think you're looking for like, I, I think Dee Sclafani and Travis Wood are pro- probably one step below the guys that we're talking about with Mats and Gray, just in terms of the consistency that those two have produced. By the way, let's give these numbers out, because over the last four years, I, th- I do think it's important to kind of put some context on what we're talking about here. 95 starts for Steven Matz is what you're looking at. He's been pretty consistent. 29 starts last year, 30 in 2019, the last full season prior to that, and 30 in 2018. He's a guy that takes the mound recently every fifth day. He did have issues with injuries early in his career. That has not been the case since the start of the 2018 season. He's been consistent. You get about 150 to 170 innings from him. Same thing is mostly true of John Gray. 29 starts last year, 25 starts in 2019, 31 starts in 2018. That's been the guy that he's been, and he's right around a four ERA. He's doing that in Colorado, so take that into account as well. Matt's did this in New York and in Toronto. He was right around a four ERA in both places as well. So you're looking at that legit number three starter that's going to give you 150 plus innings, and Dan, that's what I want. 
I want the certainty of the innings. I like the idea of Alex Cobb if I was making an upside play. I'm not for this team. I'm making a certainty play. And over the last three years, he started 18, 10, and three games. He started in the last three years what I saw last year from Steven Matz. I don't know that I can fall back on that. Zach Greinke's interesting to me. He's a guy that's going to go out there every fifth day. But his results have started to go on the downside. He's on the downward trajectory of his career. Do I want another 38-plus-year-old in my rotation? There's some questions there. Corey Kluber, you mentioned, upside there. Downside is the injuries once again. So I'm looking specifically at Mats and Gray out of the market that still remains out there. Those are the guys that I feel like you can count on to be that number three. I think it's interesting when you see Noah Syndergaard to get uh, what he did. And we talked about it yesterday. To me, if you're coming off Tommy John, typically maxing out 130 to 135 innings and he gets 20, uh, what, 22 plus don't tell me there's not money in this game. Oh, for sure. Oh, my goodness. Coming off uh, not having stadiums full and then um, and then last year, limited capacity. Don't tell me there's not money in this game. Get it figured out before December 1st. And that's what uh, disappointed me about the, the comments of the commissioner. And I was on with the fast lane yesterday and they asked me about it. And I said, I, to me, if I'm the commissioner, I'm saying, man, we're doing everything we can to get our fan base revved up for December 1st because that's what we're going for. I don't want to hear that a lockout is going to say, well, I mean, I can't understand why fans can't understand uh, the fact that it's not losing games and, you know, we're, we're working towards a goal. No, 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 no. The message to your fans is we're doing everything possible to make sure we don't have any type of labor strife. That's the answer, period. That's it. And what I hate, Dan, is that he did go back to that eventually. He said what you mentioned there where, hey, our goal is to get a deal done prior to December 1st. But that has to be the message from start to finish. There can't be a deviation from that message of, oh, yeah, this is the off season, though. So if there was going to be a work stoppage, this is the time when you want to see it done. No, you just don't want to see one. Yeah, like period. The answer to fans is we're doing everything we can. We're doing everything we can. We're working behind the scenes. We're hoping to keep this out of the public the way that it got all of our dirty laundry was aired last year. We don't want to see that happen again. We're hoping to get a deal done before December 1st, and we're not going to make any more public comments before then because we're hoping to get this done behind closed doors this time around. That's the comment. It's not hard. You can make that happen, and then hopefully before December 1st, over the next two weeks, you're able to get a deal done. I'm not expecting that. I'm fully anticipating we're going to have a lockout. I think that it's going to be till February or March, and we'll have a couple of, or we'll have some signings between now and December 1st. And then we're going to have to wait for some of those big guys, especially the top of the pitching market, it sounds like. That's going to have to wait until after uh, this lockout is over. And Dan, I think that's another really interesting decision point for the Cardinals. Do we wait? Do we wait on one of those guys, Max Scherzer, for example? Or do we get the guy now? Because it sounds like that mid-tier market is going to sign now. There will be very few fallback options, at least in terms of the certainty that we're talking about here. The certainty is likely going to be gone once you get to the lockout. Do you take that trust fall or do you go now and mitigate some of that risk and sign a guy like John Gray or Steven Matz? It's an interesting decision for this team. It's playing poker, isn't it? It's interesting. Back to more of the Danny Mac show with BK on 101 ESPN. But with the starting pitcher market being so hot um, and so pricey, I could see them dabbling into the, the relief market a little bit more than, than you would expect. Because um, something they're looking for is an impact reliever. 
Um, they're talking to Luis Garcia right now about a deal uh, to bring him back to St. Louis, but they would like to have somebody else back there. Hmm. Don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Um, to me, your impact reliever, first of all, could be on your roster already in Alex Reyes and um, and looking at Jordan Hicks. Now, I love an impact reliever. I, I don't like Alex Reyes as the closer. I did. Didn't like it at the end of the year. Didn't like it at the second half of the season. But you win games a lot of times, BK, as we talk about all the time. You know, three, four, and five comes up in the seventh, and you've got Luis Garcia, you've got Jordan Hicks, or you got Alex Reyes. And I'm going to put those three right now. I think Garcia does come back. I think they're going to make that work. And as we talked about earlier, teams that figure you out and you have success with, um, it's probably beneficial to go back to that team. There's a comfort level there if the money makes sense. Um, and I understand they're going to try to stretch out Hicks and Reyes. If they're going to be on the Major League Club, though, and if they go out and get pitching, which I do think that they will with the starting rotation, it makes it very tough for me to see them breaking in that that five. So maybe that impact reliever is there. And you've already got TJ McFarland. Um, I, I love the fact that Gallegos could be at the back end of your games and Garcia. Um, Henesis Cabrera is already there. I mean, they're they're pretty loaded with what they have, and I'm not even mentioning a couple other guys that could be impactful in that bullpen. So I'm not sure that it's in the best interest of the Cardinals if they're going to, you know, take a lot of money or a big chunk of money and go for a reliever. Now, if you're telling me you're going to go out and get Joe Kelly or somebody of that ilk that has had closing experience and has got nasty stuff, then yeah, I, I think that makes some sense. And he's proven to be fairly durable. First year in LA, he wasn't, but for the most part, he has been. Um, I just I could see a lot of different ways they go, but to me that's kind of that would be option C as a more, more so than saying, "Hey, I've got to revamp my bullpen." And that's option A. Like that's uh, that's the number one thing we got to do. I'm with you. Um, I I am interested to see if they decide to go get somebody like Joe Kelly, for example. I'm not saying they need. I would not go to the top end of the market. I, I think that's the wrong move for this team, and I, I wouldn't do that for any team, honestly. Like multi years, ten plus million dollars for a reliever. I'm just not doing that if I'm a team right now. Corey Knable is another guy that maybe you look at out there. Somebody in that upper middle class that could get a one to two year deal, five to seven million dollars. If they end up signing a Mats or a John Gray and you're looking at 12 to 15 million dollars per on a two to three year deal for those guys. Well, now you do have a little bit more money to be able to spend. Maybe you bring back on top of one of those two players. You bring back Luis Garcia one year, five million dollars, something like that. So you're talking about 20 million dollars between those two pitchers. I've still got 10 to 15 potentially to play with. And if I'm expecting uh, Lars Newtbar to be my fourth outfielder, the left-handed bat off of the bench next year. Okay, cool. We got that there. Yepes, I think, will be up with this big league club next year. You're expecting Rondon slash one of those shortstops to be there. My bench is mostly done at that point. And then it's basically Nolan Gorman or do I go out there and get another bat? I think your options at that point in time to improve the club going into next year's spring training are do I go get another bench bat? Do I go get another reliever or maybe some combination of the two? And that's probably where I would look to spend is I'd probably go with maybe one more bench bat for me and one more reliever, $5 million a piece. I'm not spending a bunch of money there, but it does help my uh, my team. It helps a little bit of that depth. I'd be fascinated to know what inside the Cardinal offices, how these guys um, jump off their pages sabermetrically. And I'm talking about Matt's. I'm talking about Stroman because all teams have different ways of how they evaluate. Uh, John Gray, Corey Kluber. Um, what do they think of Scherzer? 
You know, where are you at if you went three years and $100 million? I, I think good. I, I think I like Max Scherzer. <laughs> well, there's a lot of lot of things that I think would jump off the table on, yeah. or jump off the page. Um, I, I just, you know, there, there's like Nick Martinez, who is pitching over in Japan. He's another one. Uh, again, and they've had success going over there and, and getting players and bringing them back or players that played there. I, I just I find it fascinating how they evaluate some of these players because you and I can go on fan graphs and uh, savant and uh, pitching ninja. I mean, there's a lot of things that I look at and they're all different. But for the most part, they're kind of on the same page yeah. where these teams do have a way to evaluate a little bit differently, take a different eye towards it. What do they value more so than other things as they look at sabermetrics? Generally speaking, teams are pretty much on the same page, but not not to the level that you and I as a talk show host are doing. It's a little bit different. So I, I'd just be curious what they think. If they said, okay, here's one through ten, wh- who's one? I'm going to assume it's going to be Max Scherzer, but maybe they love Marcus Stroman. They say Stroman is really one, but it's going to cost us. Now you get into the years and you get into the money. Um, That's at, the thing. You've got the power rankings of who are the best pitchers and also next to that, okay, who are the best values? Yeah. Like, bang for your buck, which ones do we think will be best for us? And that's where it gets really interesting. Because the number one guy on the board, no doubt for every team, should be Max Scherzer. You would think. But yeah. for $30 million a year, maybe more than that, where does he rank for that dollar figure? And that's where the decision's going to have to come in for the Cardinals. Coming up, we're going to visit with the former uh, Cardinal GM, Walt Jockety. Looking forward to that. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Man, it's awesome to have the chance to visit with uh, the former Cardinal General Manager, Walt Jockety. He had such great success here in St. Louis, went on to Cincinnati, had great success there. And it's uh, a time of year that has got to be, man, I guess it's got to be as busy as you could all get out, man. And that's uh, being the general manager of a team in Major League Baseball. And hey, Walt, it's uh, Dan McLaughlin with Brandon Kylie. Thanks, as always, for being kind and hopping on. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Well, thank you. Morning, guys. Uh, Happy Thanksgiving to you and, and all the uh, Cardinal fans. Well, go ahead and rub it in. You're probably sitting out on your deck having a cup of coffee and looking at the uh, sun coming yeah. up in Arizona. Go ahead and rub it in. Actually, <laughs> it's uh, I am outside. It is nice, but it's, it's a little overcast today. You know, you can't have sun every day. It's probably Jeez. just as well. Come on, boy. Tired of it, but. I, I get it. I understand. Um, I know it's just like 39 degrees or something back there. It's a little chilly. It is. Um, it was freezing yesterday. It yesterday was, was rough. Today's a little better, Walt. Yeah, I don't want to hear this oh, crap good, from you, good. Walt. And I could finally <laughs> say that to you. Um, That's all right. It, it, you know, you were, you were so great to deal with when you were here in St. Louis from my perspective and did such an amazing job of, of getting the organization back on track to the point that we see the success that we have uh, here today. It, it all started with you and Tony and, and ownership really changing everything. Um, I'm curious. Randy and I were talking about an hour ago. He said, yeah, he goes, I remember uh, Christmas Eve and I get a call from Walt Jockety and, and Andy Bennis and Ron Gant all of a sudden on Christmas or a member of the Cardinals. I was thinking of yeah. Kurt Schilling having, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with Theo in 2003 to go to Boston. So what is this time of year like for a general manager? The holidays, you want to be with family, but yet you got an eye on what's going on with your roster. Well, Dan, it just it, it, the, the job really never stops. It's uh, 24-7, 365 days a year. You know, that's not every single day, but 
you know, there's always something going on. Something comes up, and and uh, I can tell you, I've been on vacations in Europe um, during the holidays and gotten calls from people wanting to do something. And it, you know, it's tough to deal with because you're trying to spend some time with your family. But um, you know, on the other hand, you don't want to miss an opportunity, so you you stay with it. And and uh, I can tell you one thing though, I've been able the last couple of years spend more time with my my two children than I did probably all the time combined. And all the time combined when I was uh, working because I was always traveling around the phone or something. But it's uh, it's been nice to get to know them again. I, I was just going to ask you that is I'm sure you're so appreciative to your two kids and your wife for understanding what the job is. And this is your dream to do this and run a franchise and, and run it well. And yet you're kind of married to the job. So what's that like, the balance of family and friends in, in trying to do your job? Well, you know, it's, it's very tough. But uh, you have to make time for your family. And it's, you know, I, I did miss a lot of things with the kids, especially my son's ball games when he was uh, playing at Ladue High School and and um, some other things that, in the kids' lives. But, um, you know, I think they understood. They, they were able to – there were some privileges that go with, with the job, too. They were able to travel with me from time to time and, and do some things that uh, uh, most kids probably don't get a chance to do. So it kind of offsets us a little bit. We're talking to Walt Jockety here on 101 ESPN. Walt, I want to go back to what Dan asked you about in the beginning of what this time of year is like for general managers, president of baseball operations. How do you start? Like when you're looking at the free agent market, are you putting these guys into a power rankings of the guys that we are most interested in? Are you saying to yourself, okay, we know we need a number three starter. Here are the Mm -hmm. six different guys that could be available in that market. And let's put a dollar figure next to all of them. What, what is that process like to whittle down who you could actually be interested in? And then what the negotiations look like afterwards? Well, first of all, you have to identify your needs and what, you know, what the organization needs, what your team needs. And then you go about, uh, you know, evaluating with your scouts all of the free agents that are out there, whether it's for free agency or trades, and uh, uh, evaluate and then rank them. And, and I almost like, uh, in fact, I can tell you going back to um, the winter of 99 going into the 2000 season, I gathered all our scouts down in Jupiter, had, had uh, pro scouts and had meetings down there. And, and we kind of, we had a lot of needs at that point. And uh, we needed a starting pitcher. We needed a closer. We needed a second baseman, we needed a catcher, an outfielder, so on. And we just kind of, I, I did it more or less like you would do preface for um, the draft. And we, we ranked all the starting pitchers that we thought were available that we'd have interest in. Same with the, the uh, closers and second base. And as a year, we came up with Daryl Kyle, David Veers, um, uh, uh, Fernando Vina, uh, Mike Matheny. And later in the year, I think, or maybe it was a year later, we got Edmonds. So it all kind of fell into place. But it took time, and, and you got to be patient and be persistent. Well, Jockety is our guest, and he's still a power broker, and that's uh, Scott Boris, and who knows what he's like now behind the scenes with a looming uh, lockout. Um, tell tell fans what it's like to to try to negotiate with Scott Boris. What is what is that like? Well, it's <laughs> Scott is like no other agent. He just you got first of all, you got to have plenty of time because he likes to talk, <laughs> and um, you, you got to set your. Uh, watch it, say maybe 45 minutes to an hour because he's going to, and every player he has is special. And, you know, you just got to 
uh, deal with that. But I mean, I've done a lot of deals with him over the years and, you know, you just, again, you just have to uh, wait them out and kind of, you know, one, one great example is with, with uh, Rick Ankiel. And when we drafted Ankiel and he wanted a certain amount of money, it, you know, finally came down, but it came down to the, like a day before he was supposed to go to school. He was going to go to the university of Miami and we just couldn't come to an agreement and Scott kept insisting that uh, Rick's father wanted a certain amount of money and we weren't going to go there. <clears throat> so I finally told him, I said, look, Scott, we're done. You know, we're walking away. And uh, I hate to do this because I know how much the kid wants to play and wants to sign, but you're just being unreasonable. So I see, he said, I hate to see that too. And then uh, the next day I get a call from him and he said, I've never seen a kid so upset. You know, his father's upset. Uh, he walked out of the house or whatever it was. I don't remember. But we finally came to an agreement, and it was far less than what they wanted. And, you know, we came up a little bit. We finally got the deal done. But just sometimes you have to be able to be willing to walk away from a deal and uh, to get it done with them. I, I can uh, tell you now being very close to Rick and working games with Rick, uh, we've talked about that. He was really upset. He, I, I said, I so were you ready to go? I think it was Miami he was going to go to. I said, were, were you really? Yeah. I said, were you really going to do that? He said, absolutely not. He goes, I'm playing pro baseball, man. <laughs> and I knew that. Yeah. I knew that. He and said, I, I knew that there's no way if he had a chance to play baseball or go to the University of Miami, he wanted to play baseball. Absolutely. He said, do you think I got, I'm going to go to class? He said, absolutely not. He said, my classroom was on the mound. So That's <laughs> yes, exactly right. I, you know, you well, like, that's, I mean, that's just kind of the, with, with Scott. It's just, you know, I, I was through the years I learned how to, deal with him and got along with him fine. But you do have to be patient and be willing to listen. You know, he likes to talk. Absolutely. And, and Walt, you lead me into my next thing, which is you had so many trades that, that hit and hit big. And then you have a situation like Ankeel that comes back as a position player. As you reflect on your time in St. Louis, do you have like a most gratifying game or moment like the Ankeel home run coming back or, Jimmy's catches, uh, winning the World Series that night, whatever the case may be, getting into the playoffs the first time, whatever. Was there a more gratifying moment of, of some instance, more so than maybe some of the, some of the others that uh, would come to mind? Well, I'll tell you, it's probably, there's so many, it's hard to, hard to pinpoint one, but just one for example, that, um, when Adam Wainwright <clears throat> closed out that game against the Mets in 2006 in the playoffs and allowed us to go to the World Series, that was a huge, huge moment because we finally got a chance to go back to the World Series again you know, and give us another opportunity to try and win it. But it was, and, you know, Wainwright was a kid we traded for from Atlanta a few years before that, had never really been a closer, had a feeling because Izzy was hurt. It was just it was an exciting moment, but I think probably the the most uh, thrilling moment was winning the World Series. Mm-hmm. Obviously, and then the, the parade down Market Street and the fans going crazy. It was just it was really that's something. It's a memory I'll I'll never forget. Along those same lines, I'm not sure I've ever heard your answer to this, Walt. But is there a whether it be a signing or a trade that immediately comes to mind? Maybe it was a difficult negotiation, or you just you had always looked to acquire that player. Whatever the reasoning may be, is there one negotiation or one trade that immediately comes to mind where you're like, "I'm I am so proud of the fact that we were able to get that one done." Hmm. Um, 
It's a good question. I, I would say that, uh, you know, McGuire certainly ranks up there because I wasn't sure that was going to happen and made a big difference in the, the, the direction of the franchise going forward. But, uh, you know, the Roland trade was one that was <clears throat> very difficult to get done. Um, and, and we finally got it done and he made a big influence, but also the Jim Edmonds trade, you know, because that one, I started talking to, to, uh, Bill Stoneman, who was the GM of the angels at the time in November at the GM meetings. And he just kept resisting, resisting. And finally in spring training that, that year, we finally got the deal done and, and Jimmy just had a tremendous career and was a big asset to our club. I mean, God bless Kent Bottenfield, but Walt, Kent Bottenfield and Adam yeah. Kennedy? Well, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> he had had the all-star year. Yeah, and... you know, it's, it's, it's like the Kenny Rogers side. You know, when to hold him, when to fold him. You got it, man. That was awesome. Um, I, I want to go back to the Big Mac deal. I've always said this, and I think I'm right about this, and you kind of alluded to it, but... I've always felt that that was probably the most important deal that you made because mm-hmm. not that the, the that things had gotten stagnant, but you needed a, a jump. You needed another spark. You were there in 96 and then half of 97 or two months of 97, you get Big Mac. And there was such mm-hmm. an energy and a buzz. And then it's the summer of 70. And to your credit and ownership's credit, the place is packed. And then you put that back into payroll. And that allowed you then to go out and get Vina and Veers and Kyle mm-hmm. and Edmonds, and the list goes on and on. I always felt right. that that was the deal that kind of changed the fortunes of this franchise over the last couple of decades. No, no doubt about it, Dan. I, I've always said that. People ask me what was the best trade I made, and I, 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 I said it's hard to hit a point one, but definitely Mark McGuire for what, what he brought to the franchise, what he brought to baseball. And, uh, you know, because I think once he came in and did his magic, we uh, started drawing 3 million people. I think with the exception of maybe one year, they, they draw 3 million every year. I think people just got excited about baseball in St. Louis again and about the Cardinals, and it's uh, it's been great. Walt Jockety is our guest for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Walt, one thing that always makes these deals tend to happen is deadlines. And right now, I I don't know if you want to talk specifically about the CBA, but um, the, the CBA is coming up on December 1st, and it seems like there's more action right now around baseball than we've seen this early in the offseason in the last few years. How does something like that play into these decisions early on in free agency, Walter? Do you get the sense that there are players that want to have that certainty of, okay, I've got this deal locked in, and now I don't have to worry about it going into what could be a long winter? Yes, I do. I think that uh, uh, I think you'll probably see a few more before <laughs> the end of the month. But um, I think that it's it's a case of the clubs and the players want to have some certainty going forward, they've identified guys that they want. They're going after them. Uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, December 1st. And, um, you know, it's, it's the way it's going. I think it might be delayed. I don't know. I'm not involved in it at all. But it just seems like uh, next next week, obviously, will be a, a big week, and they've got a deadline to get it done by uh, the 1st. And, and usually it takes the deadline, like you said, to get it done. But I think most players, if they get an opportunity to sign now, They'll sign rather than wait. We all know that you're very close to Tony LaRusso still to this day. Probably talk to him every day and probably talk to him throughout the regular season. What was baseball like um, for Tony this year, getting back in uniform and in the dugout? And 
at the age of 76, you know, it's not easy. All that travel and the different things that go along with it. How did he hold up and looking forward to next year, too? Well, he did a great job. And I, I actually flew to Chicago three times to see him and the White Sox once uh, the Reds were there. But then um, I just saw him this past weekend in Las Vegas. He had his uh, Leaders and Legends uh, charity event uh, for his our foundation. And uh, it was another great success and had a great program. But he, he's, he's doing well. He, you know, I'll tell you, Dan, he amazes me at his age, how he continues to have the energy and the, and the drive that he has to get things done. He's, he just uh, keeps pushing, pushing, pushing. And, and he, this was a, a, a big year for him to come back. He had, as he said several times over the weekend, he had a great team, great team of guys that loved each other, really played well together. He, got, uh, he had a couple guys there. He had uh, Super Joe McEwing, who was his third base coach. He was there. And uh, Liam Hendricks, his closer. And Hendricks is just such an entertaining guy. And you can see that uh, they, they, just, they have a real camaraderie there that is hard to match, and that's what you need in a successful club. But I think Tony, uh, Tony did a great job. I think there was a lot of apprehension about him going in there. But once he did and got settled in, people got to know who he is and what, he, what he's about. Um, and then he's all about winning. And I think the players loved that and adopted it, and, and uh, they had success. Absolutely. So he'll be even better next year. Absolutely. He's, he's had a chance to evaluate his staff, evaluate his players, and the whole situation. And I think he'll going into spring training, he'll be even more prepared. Walt, uh, final question for you: How much uh, gratification do you get out of seeing Izzy, Willie, Jimmy Edmonds, Scott Rowland? Scott Rowland is headed to Cooperstown. I think Edgar Renteria is going to get into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Matt Morris eventually, but these are all guys that either you drafted or traded for and developed. Um, and it's it's a special time, these last two decades of, of which you were a major part of what happened with the St. Louis Cardinals. So much gratification do you get to, to see those guys put on a red jacket because you know how special it is for them and what it means to the city and the franchise. You know, it's it's uh, it's very gratifying. And I, I, you know, I look back, uh, my wife and I talk about this quite often, about look back at our time in St. Louis, and it was probably the highlight of my career. We, we had some great teams and great players. It was a good organization, a great organization. We had met a lot of great people there. Still have close friendships with people there, and um, you know, just the, the you know the time that we were there was uh, was like magic. And I, I'll, it's something that uh, I'll never forget. Hey, Walt, thanks for hopping on with us. You know, I love seeing you when you're back in St. Louis. So don't be a stranger, and uh, really appreciate your time. Sounds good, Dan. Anytime. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. That's uh, Walt Jockety, a former general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals. That was fun. I could talk to Walt uh, all day. I got so many questions for Walt because I was doing the games when he was doing all these things and making these trades and and, uh, really changed the fortunes of this franchise. The 70s, not great. Some good players came through. Could have been different if they kept Carlton and Jerry Royce. Didn't happen, but you had Simba. Simba was a great player, goes into the Hall of Fame. Then you had the run of the 80s, and by the late 80s and the early 90s, uh, it was just a different way the franchise was run. You just didn't see them, you know, spending the type of money that we see now under the DeWitt ownership. And um, Walt came in 95, 96 and, and turned everything around. And getting Tony La Russa obviously was big. Took a while for Tony to win over the town. Uh, winning will do that. And then in, I, I'm just a firm believer, like I said, when they got McGuire, that's when things yep. really changed. Yeah, you've mentioned this a million different times since we've been doing this show, Dan, but it's 
it's those big deals that immediately come to mind when you think of Walt Jockety. And he'll, he'll talk openly about how proud he is. Like, hey, yeah, this is I remember talking to him at the trade deadline. He's like, this is when my job really starts. My, yeah. my job is if we've got a team that I feel like is in it. I go to work now to try to win it for these guys. I really go in on it. And it's the same thing in the offseason for him. He just so many big time names, future either Hall of Famers or at least borderline Hall of Famers that he was able to bring here to St. Louis. That's what I always remember back on with Walt Jockety. And things change. You know, with, with Walt, sure. he was trading a lot of the prospects that were, some of these guys did not pan out too. A lot of them didn't, but was able to flip them and then, Kind of the business model was, hey, get these guys here. Let them experience St. Louis. And they did their due diligence. When they got McGuire, they thought Big Mac would like it when no one else thought he would. They they thought, oh, he's going to go back out to the West Coast. Scott Rowland grew up in Indiana going to Reds and Cardinals games. They thought, hey, he's a Midwest guy. Get him out of Philly. This is going to be a good fit. They weren't sure about Edmonds. When Edmonds got here... And I've talked to Jimmy numerous times about this. Within a week, he said, I'm signing long-term here. He left a lot on the table and signed a, a very nice contract. Don't get me wrong. It was like $65 million or something like that. And then got another extension after that. But the idea was, hey, this kind of a West Coast guy, West Coast kid, he's not going to want to be here. It was all about baseball. And he loved it. And he was the focal point of it and loved it. So they, they did their due diligence on the background of guys when they brought him here. Now, you got to pay him, too. But... They thought they'd have at least a shot. They went for it. Um, and, I, you know, we we're just talking about the Cardinals Hall of Fame. I do wonder if Walt Jockety gets a red jacket for what oh, he, he did. Yeah, I mean, long tenure as a GM and uh, changing the, the franchise and getting it back to where this is St. Louis Cardinals baseball and getting those people down to the ballpark. It was just uh, remarkable, the job that he did. Yeah, he's deserving of getting one. And he, he changed the culture here in, in so many different ways. And now you look at what it is. Uh, today, and it still has some of the same fingerprints that Walt Jockety put onto the organization. You look at the deals that they've made for Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. When we when the Nolan Arenado deal went down, we talked with Walt about it. Yeah. He's like, this this was the Scott Rowland deal. It, yep. it was Scott Rowland 2.0. It was same position, same type of player, great defender, uh, can legitimately change your lineup. And also, it was incredibly difficult to get done. Yeah. Just like as he said there, the Scott Rowland deal was very difficult to be able to get done. This would be our crossover. You're coming up with Alex. You got three hours. What do you guys have? No Alex today. He is okay. out today. He'll be back in tomorrow. It'll be me and Tanner for the next three hours. We have Mike Petriello of MLB Network at MLB.com coming up at 1130. We're going to be joined in studio for 30 minutes with our guy Jeremy Rutherford from 12 to 1230. Uh, We'll open up with the Blues, who changed a few things about how they played last night, and in particular... The two guys that have been scuffling a little bit of late, they got back on track. So good to see that last night. I went to the Blues game last night. Did you? Yep. Took two of my kids and one of their buddies. Uh, had great seats thanks to Dan Collins of the St. Louis Blues in their ticket department and uh, various things that he does in their front office. But uh, great seats, great atmosphere. They're down to nothing. I'm thinking, uh-oh. Not good. Then five unanswered. I'm like, that's pretty good. Yeah, it worked out all right. Dan, can I ask you one quick question Jordan before we Bennington get out of here? played well, too. He was outstanding way. last night. So the Cardinals just tweeted this out. Three Cardinals players are the headline of the 2021 Arizona Fall League team, the most of any MLB team. It was Juan Yepes, who was also named co-hitter of the year. Lars Newtbar, who's been outstanding down there and had a very good finish to the season for the Cardinals. And a gentleman by the name of Andre Payante. Yeah. Who Tanner... Palante. Palante? I believe it's Palante. Palante, yes. there we go. 
Tanner's very high on this young man. He should be. Can you tell me a little bit about him? Because he's a pitcher who had very good numbers this year in double A and triple A. Yep. Is he somebody for Cardinals fans yes. to watch? Oh, yeah. Uh, throws hard. And now command was in check down the stretch. And we're going to visit, by the way, with Brian Walton tomorrow of the CardinalNation.com. He was out at the Arizona Fall League and talked to him about Palante two weeks ago. He thinks that you're talking about a major league invite to camp and could rattle some cages. That's how good he is. Reliever or starter? Could be either one, but we'll see which direction they want to go into. So we'll get with Brian Walton tomorrow. Yeah, should be fun.